means to destroy this world. Let's go to war. Everything they've built will fall. We're here with John Ottman, composer and editor in his studio in West Hollywood, and we are talking about his work on X-Men Apocalypse. John, on this movie, you're actually a triple threat. You edited the film, you scored the film, and you're also credited as a producer. What was your role as a producer? Well, the producer sort of title is an acknowledgement that I do more than just sit at a computer and edit the movie. Um, I'm involved from the beginning from you know storyboarding and working with the previs department, which is the animated storyboards of the film, and, um, and designing sequences um, that have been sort of scripted in sort of bullet form form. Um, for instance, this one, as is usual for these films that are thrown into production with a release date, we really didn't have a fleshed out third act and so as or, or other sequences um, that weren't fleshed out as well. So as we're um, finishing pre-production and we're going into shooting, we still don't have these sequences. So we're shooting the film, which is like um, also like air traffic control in my office because I'm deciding who's going to shoot what. Sometimes the second unit director should take this, the first unit should take this. Um, but also in the, you know, as the flood of footage is coming in, also continually continually trying to design the sequences that are that we're going to be up against in the shooting schedule like weeks down the road. Um, so uh, so it's a really critical role in terms of planning the storytelling. Yeah, it's storytelling. It's it's man it's managing the movie. It's um, and there are, for instance, uh, something like eighteen hundred visual effect shots, and each shot is like its own project that you nurture through that year. Um, and so there's that. It's uh, basically doing one of these films for me is like um, being in a football field of whack the moles, you know. And it's just and for an annual retainer person like me, it's a nightmare because I, I hate loose ends. Um, but but walking into a film like this is just like a rat's nest of loose ends, and that's that's. So in addition to to basically constructing the film, um, I have uh, you know it's in, in the and when you get back to LA, there's the politics, there's this test screenings, there's ADR and the actors, um, uh, dealing with the visual effects and dealing with the constant film that's in flux. You know, I think a lot of people may not realize that an editor is actually part of the production process. That you are on location there throughout shooting. Right. And yeah. as well as throughout the post-production process. Yeah. So talk about that role, if you would, and how the editor really is shaping the story that we will ultimately see. Depending on the relationship between the editor and the director, there are different types of editor-director relationships. Sometimes um, an editor is just basically the hands of a, of an editor, of a director, who's, and they are just basically a clock in, clock out. Then there are you know editors who take more, take the reins, and then there are editors who uh, are given a lot more um, leeway like I am because we have a, a long-standing relationship. And, and by we, you mean you and Brian Singer. Brian Singer, and there's a, you know, there's a trust factor. He would like to go to dinner because he, he knows John's gonna take care of things, you know, but um, uh, without that trust factor, I'm sure he would be less reticent to go have more of a life than, than I'm able to have. So um, so it really depends on that relationship. So it, so in, in terms of our relationship, so I have a lot of a leeway to, to, to be involved from the beginning to, uh, to try to shape the sequences, like I said. And, um, and it's, uh, it's, it, it can even be starting as early as casting and, um, and all the way through, of course, to the, to the last day of the final dub. Was there anything special about working with Brian on X-Men Apocalypse? You guys go back over 20 years, I know, in mm -hmm. terms of 
Brian as director and you as editor and composer. I mean, this was a different X-Men movie for us because it had a sort of a, a villain from the outside, you know, where, where uh, X-Men 2 and Days of Future Past, um, well, I guess Days of Future Past had a sort of villain in character, but, but it was still um, a lot to do with the Eric-Charles uh, uh, debate, you know. Um, you know, Eric is the activist and Charles is the pacifist. And, um, and this one, sort of an outside force comes in and it becomes much much more of the superhero teaming up against a villain kind of film, which, which scared me because there's the inevitable conclusion of these movies where the good guys team up against the bad guy. And how do we do that without, without being like, just like everyone else? How can we make that clever? And that was probably one of the biggest challenges of the film. And were you solving that dilemma as you went uh, Absolutely. This was our biggest uh, dilemma in the film is how to end it. Um, and again, we had bullet points, you know, they, they, they fight, so-and-so, you know, dies, they, they, you know, they lose, they walk away, you know, it's like, well, that, those four bullet points are probably 20 pages of action. And so you have to flesh all that out with, again, with the previous team and, and, and with the second unit director and, and with Ron Brian to try to sort of work all this out. And, and because Brian is busy, uh, shooting the first unit stuff where I'm with the second unit director trying to piece together this third act thing. Mm. How different is editing a comic book based movie from doing a more straightforward drama? I mean, is it harder? I mean, you know, you don't have the visual effects that will be coming in later, or is it still about basic storytelling? Values? I mean, it's all about basic storytelling. It's all about character and caring about what the hell is going on and feeling the stakes of whatever that story is. I mean, it's it's over. It's it's made more complicated by the fact that you have a tons of green screens and and um, the inevitable popcorn elements that these films have to have, and so it becomes very difficult to. It sometimes it is an impediment to the character storytelling when you have all of those external green screens and so forth because you're not then suddenly you're not feeling the story anymore because you're looking at blank things or you're looking at cartoons um, and that becomes very difficult because when you're in the uh, the political process where you're showing the film to the studio and even though they are smart people and they, they see the green screens it does affect their experience and they become critical of the story mm, you know sure. when you're cutting a film are you also thinking about music and the role that it will play? Well, I'm always thinking about music in terms of the worrying <laughs> about being able to get in here somehow and write. But um, uh, I mean, I, I rarely know what the heck I'm going to write. I just know that um, I know that the kind of music it's going to be. And I know that when I'm designing a sequence, if it's a big dramatic sequence, I'm going to give it a little more pregnancy or pregnant moments because it's going to be a big score moment. But I don't, but I really have one hat on and put the other hat on. I don't try to think about, oh, I'm going to, I want, you know, to write some really cool thing here. So I'm going to, I'm going to redesign the scene for some cool music. I don't do that. Um, I basically then put the composer's hat on and the editor's hat on because the editor's hat never comes off during the process and, and to try to, to fix whatever I've created as an editor, mm. you know, with the music and make it better. This is your third X-Men movie. You did X2, um, part of the original trilogy back, right. back in 2003, and then you also did uh, this previous film, X-Men Days of Future Past. In terms of music, were you able to bring back themes or musical ideas from the earlier films? I was in some way. I mean, obviously the theme, which was very satisfying for me to resurrect that in the last film, Days of Future Past. I would say the, the, the theme that really... Um, 
carried through from X-Men 2, but it, it was had a brief inception of X-Men 2 was this Magneto's theme, um, which basically was just da da da. That was all it was in X-Men 2. And then in Days of Future Past, it became da da de, da da. And in this one, um, it's sort of because it's more of his story in this, and this is a more humanized version of, of Eric Lencher. I do the sort of major chord. Um, thing where it's da dee da 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 and it goes on da 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 dee da da and so he finally has like you know a theme that at least has a beginning middle and end kind of I mean they're all usually short themes of course um, and that I really uh, push home on this film because uh, again it's it's a it's a it's a tragic story for Eric Lencher and um, so it was nice to and then that was the and I, I rarely ever think of a theme while I'm writing the movie, but I kept singing that in my head, and I like, like that's gonna be Eric's thing for this film. You know? This is a pretty earth-shaking plot. Apocalypse is this godlike figure that wants to destroy mankind. How do you accompany that with music? Well, I mean, big apocalyptic things, you, 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 oft, you, you immediately think of, of, you know, big and dark and choir, you know. Um, but, but, but this villain was very, because, um, you know, the villains in our movies are somewhat complex. They're, and um, for better or for worse, um, for better because they're, they're not cliche, but uh, for worse maybe because they're, they are complex and you kind of have to understand where the hell they're, they're coming from. Um, and Apocalypse is, a, he's, um, uh, he's so, somewhat hard to figure out in the movie. And so um, I don't really like writing um, straight off sinister music for villains because villains have a point of view as well they were also babies at some point they, they, they had mothers they had mothers <laughs> and so I, I like the music to be sort of from the viewpoint of the villain you know whether it's Kaiser Soze or Apocalypse and so his theme is sort of um, you know I would say noble um, and and grand because he sees himself as the god of the, of the Old Testament you know and so it's, I, you could say sort of the music is sort of narcissistic in a way, you know, because um, that's the way he views himself. And then, um, the, and then he's also um, a sweet talker, so he's very seductive to try to, to have people do what he wants. And so, um, and because of the religious element and, and connotations in the film, I built on these sort of what I call these religious chords, um, which which sort of are his seductive part. So his 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 theme is sort of in two two sections. So, you mentioned choir. I think yeah. choir is a really interesting aspect of this score. And in fact, the movie sort of opens with this big sort of orchestral and choral piece. Oh, right, yes, the Egyptian stuff. Exactly, <laughs> which I think is really sort of colorful and sort of puts you in the, in the yeah. moment, in the place. Yeah. But what is the choir singing? I was fascinated <laughs> by listening. <laughs> Well, um, it all—it's not all bullshit. The choir. I mean, it's—it's—it's—it's. It's, um, it's, it's, uh, there, there, there are many. There's, there's like four sections to the opening sequence, um, uh, and uh, the the main section, which is uh, basically a, a transference of, of apocalypse going into another body, is all about is uh, is some Egyptian syllables that are that are loosely based upon the concept of resurrection. So at least it has something to do with what the scene is. Having said that, and um, the big Beethoven-esque sequence that that was done, um, say baklava, only because we were on the scoring stage and we couldn't find any freaking baklava, which I had a craving for. So um, the choir is basically saying baklava. <laughs> Yeah. How often do you get a chance to put a little in joke like that into your? Oh, quite. Story? I think quite often. I think composers 
do that quite often in these movies because you know if they're if if they're in the whole mesh, you don't really know what the choir is saying. You know, I, I might ask a general question about the use of of choral forces in film scores. When is it most effective? How do you decide when you would you need choir? Well, I mean, it's. Uh... Choir is a thing that just brings you to another place and 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 brings some importance to to uh, the, the the scene, the movie, and or significance, you know. Um, and um, I mean, it's a fine line because if you just fall back on choir, it can become really cheese ball. And um, and uh, I mean, I look back to my older scores and I'm like, whoa, that was a little cheesy using the choir there. But but um, but uh, you know, if it's something epic or 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 even even tender, you know, um, it can be a very profoundly uh, moving thing because it's, even though the real or the orchestra in terms of the instruments are people blowing through instruments and it's still people playing those, choir is so much more pure because it's literally the voice of people and so um, you just you just feel the, the emotion because it's, it's their, well they're singing, you know. So. How big an orchestra did you have and how big a choir? Uh, there was a hundred, hundred piece orchestra plus, plus or minus some change based upon the day. And the choir was, um, I think it was 50 people. You know? Those are pretty substantial forces. Yeah, yeah, the choir was amazing. Um, this contractor, Jasper, uh, that I use, um, uh, and, and the players he has are just fantastic. So, um, and uh, yeah, and so what I liked about this movie um, in terms of the scoring process was, unlike the last film, which was more of a, of a decidedly modern approach, this one was much more traditional. Um, I knew that reading the script that this would be more in the footsteps of X-Men 2 than, than Days of Future Past. So in that regard, the orchestra was far more than um, just a backdrop to synthesizers or sweetening. It was the, it was, you know, the main thing, which, which for me is easier to write just for the orchestra because I don't have to worry about um, designing synthesizer tracks and, 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 and really producing the sound from here, which takes a huge amount of time. I can, I can write a piece of music, it can be sloppy, I mean, it's got to sound good for the mock-up, of course, but it doesn't have to be that accurate to the click or whatever, and, um, and then it just gets sent on its way and it's going to be just re-performed. So I, I can write much faster, which, which given the amount of music in this film, I had to. You know, write. How much music was there and how long did you have to write it? Uh, I never really know how much time I have to write it because it's 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 uh, I never stop managing the movie and so I, I come over here I write for a couple hours I go back to Fox and back over here write for a few hours so and that started around probably uh, late December and we recorded in April so I guess four months um, but uh, not all the time in this room which is the hard part um, I think we recorded over 125 minutes of score because. Um, you know, these films are always in flux, and I don't have time to constantly rewrite the music to the new edit of the scene. So I, I, I just, and I had to start writing or else I was going to be dead. So I just started writing to the long, the long versions of the film. So I figured I'd be covered and we could edit the music down. And in most cases that worked out. Although with that much music, that means that probably most of the film actually has music, right? Well, yeah, you know, once you light that fuse in these movies, it never stops. But I mean, I'm a believer, as we've talked about in the past, probably of, of less is more. And and I, I don't like to overscore because it really drives me nuts when I see a film where where there's so little confidence in the filmmaking that they feel like that, that music wall to wall. And I just tune out. But um, having said that, I mean, it's uh, there's a lot of music in this film. And, um, you know, uh, some films, they need it and sometimes they don't. This one needed a lot of score to keep it going but but I but you know but 
the way I write though, I, do, I, I have a lot of peaks and valleys in the way I write, so it's not like it's constantly at level 10, you know, and so that's one of the things that drives me crazy about some modern scores is they just, they're always at their peak and they never really have any sort of, um, you know, again, you never get a break from it. Right, so, there's some, there's some but, very quiet moments in this score. Yeah, I mean, it's, and these X-Men movies, as you know, there are a lot of underscoring because it, they're character movies, and so there's a lot of um, quiet, boring music for an album, you know, because it's basically um, supporting character as opposed to action moments, you know. But that's the job of music. But that's the job, yeah, that's the soul of the movie, you know. You've done other comic book adaptations, I know, from your past. There were, you know, also in the Marvel Universe, you've done a couple Fantastic Four movies. Right. But in the DC Universe, you've also done Superman Returns. Right. Is there anything that links all of these comic book movies musically? Do they all need something, or are they all the different projects? Uh, well, they're all different, but 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 I think the thing that links them all together, like all superhero films, is the, the not being understood, the misunderstood thing. And uh, um, all of these characters some sort of pain or or uh, or I mean terrible times they've had because of, of people not understanding who they are you know so I mean that's that's the common thread of all whether even with even with Superman returns he was misunderstood and and um, I think that's the common thing you know what keeps you doing both editing and scoring jobs blackmail <laughs> because uh brian is like i will you, you can't score the film unless you're the editor you know um because it makes them more comfortable to make a film with me you know but um uh but that's actually a compliment to you because he really does need you to sort of help the storytelling along yeah i mean i'm part of the of the equation i guess you would say but uh yeah, every time I say I don't know if I can do it anymore because I lose a lot of scoring work. I get one score out of, out of after a year, and people think I died or something because <laughs> like, what happened to that guy? You know, well, yeah, I've been making a freaking movie, you know, um, but yeah, I go to that BMI dinner, you know, it's like, what you been up to? Well, you know, you have, <laughs> but, but um, yeah, so that that's the frustrating part is I do lose a lot of scoring work when I when I go off to editing prison. You know, what's up next for you? What can we? Nothing. No, but you do have another film coming out this year. Oh, right. I forgot about that one. Um, uh, the Nice Guys is coming out actually the same day as X-Men. Really? Um, so it looks like I've just been cranking things out, but um, go ahead. No, no, what's the nature of the film? Oh, well, it's, it's very it's very like a Kiss Kiss Bang Bang kind of movie. You know, it's Shane Black, the same uh, writer and, and director. And it's, um, you know, very similar where it's a, a, a buddy film of two unlikely people that come together and... Uh, and uh, solve crime, you know. How different is that musically? Uh, you know, it's interesting because Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, I decided to do a retro 60s kind of score over over a current day movie that was not a period piece film, which gave it its interesting uh, personality, you know. Um, whereas Nice Guys is a period film, it takes place in the 70s, so the, the, the thought was, how do I make this one interesting because the obvious thing would be do the 70s thing but that's what we did though um joel really wanted sort of the um, joel silver the producer really wanted to to harken back to um you know the 70s movies or or 70s tv shows of that time like it takes a thief and so forth and so um so i did that and i wrote this theme which i loved and joel loved it and then became the oh my god should we really do this and so it became the the whole process of like let's try everything in the kitchen sink on this movie except what was the original idea and then in the end of the end of the day it came back around to the original idea unfortunately unlike kisses bang bang they weren't 
able to, uh, well, they didn't uh, do an animated sequence to my theme. They did a, a song. So it's uh, the, the theme doesn't really have, it's a literal moment in the movie. It's, it's harkened to because it's bookended by songs in the film. But but it sounds like a fun process. But yeah, it's it's fun music and um, it's a simple theme, right? So I wrote so that we could, we, so because, because I knew we wouldn't be able to have it bookended by the actual theme in the movie. So how do you then get people to to recognize the theme? So it's a simple melody that that is is um, uh, in the film ad nauseum now. <laughs> you know, wherever we could stick it. You know, so. Um, yeah. uh, but in, in in your heart of hearts, I think you feel that you're a composer, and and is yeah. that really where you'd like to spend? Well, more I mean, of it's time? weird. I, I see myself as a filmmaker um, who who does these other things, you know? And so my viewpoint on writing film scores or editing films is probably a little different than a film editor or a composer. Um, I mean, yes, I'd like to say I am a film composer, but but I, but I think I see things a little differently, you know? And, and maybe you're a storyteller at heart. Well, yeah, but of course, I think the best editors, the best composers are storytellers, you know? Um, and But it's true, I mean, you, there are, are composers who can who can who have theory down you know and and, and years of, of musical knowledge but they may not know how to score a scene because it's all about storytelling and i know some people who really struggle with the process of how to apply the musical knowledge to supporting this thing on the screen and i often say you know it's the force thing unlearn what you have learned <laughs> because because film music is a whole different animal you know and if it sounds great in the album, that's great. We always try, especially I try to write thematic things that can stand alone, but that's not the purpose. It's it's to support this over here, you know? And if that's boring on the CD, so be it, you know? And do you think that's because and the, this dramatic instinct that you have is because you started as a kid, as a filmmaker? Yeah, well, it was two things. I started as a, as a filmmaker and um, I watched the original Star Trek series, which is full of very dramatic, adventurous music, and, and then I saw Star Wars, and then became a Jerry Goldsmith fan. So it's like all these things together, yeah, you know. Yeah. Thank you very much, John Ottman. Well, you've been busy. We had a, a little help.